This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about aspects. You might remember we mentioned this in a listener mail that we read a couple episodes ago from Sierra. Thank you, Sierra, because it was such a wonderful discovery for me. I've never heard of these things. Ah. Uh, I laughed so hard. I <laughs> I was horrified. Growing growing up watching a lot of Julia Child videos, um, I, I had definitely been exposed to that. And also my, my dad had had a little bit of training in classical French cooking. So if you haven't seen a picture of one of these things, look them up the literal second you get a chance. Like the second. They're so strange and they're so funny. Because, okay, because what what is an aspic? Yes. It's basically savory jello. Uh-huh. Before you freak out, okay, have you ever enjoyed, uh, say, say tonkatsu ramen or like a nice rich stock or uh, like a bone broth kind of thing? Uh, savory gelatin, a.k.a. aspic, is a chilled version of the same thing. Right. Uh, you take broth or stock or, or consomme, which is another term for clarified stock, and you jellify it, chill it, and mold it into decorative shapes, sometimes with meat or vegetables or hard-boiled eggs or whatever else you can imagine, put inside of it. I am trying to hold back from laughing just hearing the description. 
Okay, but like ideally the, the point of an aspic is, is that, you know, it phase changes at your body temperature, aka melts. So you wind up with this spoonful of cold, delicious broth on your tongue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they look ludicrous. They look absolutely just gross and very silly and wiggly. Yeah. And meaty. Very meaty and vegetable-y. Uh-huh. Olive-y sometimes. Yeah. I mean, now you have to look them up if you haven't done it already. They, and every every gelatin mold that you can imagine has had an aspic in it at some point. Definitely. Probably some you can't imagine. There were definitely some things I never would have imagined that I stumbled in. Aspic jelly, or gelée, if you're fancy, can also be used as a kind of decoration or like condiment for cold dishes. Um, it, it, it can be like a flavorful, pretty topping that you put on top of a pâtés or terrines, or you can use it as a thin, like brushed-on glaze on cold presentations of sliced meat or seafood to give them that nice sheen. Oh, yes, you need the sheen. You want all your food to be shiny, uh-huh. obviously. Uh, sometimes the jelly part is basically inedible. Oh, great. Or at least very unpleasant. Um, and is simply, in heavy scare quotes, a way to show off the time and money that you have at your disposal. Uh, like, like putting a whole cooked salmon inside a purely decorative aspic mold. Don't we all love having to dig through basically an inedible jelly to get to a whole cooked salmon? That's what I do at all of my fancy parties, Annie. This is why I've never invited you. I didn't think you could handle it. I promise to be less judgmental, but you have to invite me to one of these now. Uh, now that I know about it, I have to go. I guess so. In the middle of our research for this, by the way, um, a blogger slash YouTuber by the name of Emmy, as an Emmy made in Japan, uh, had a post about spaghetti jello go viral, as I have been told the kids say these days. Do they? <laughs> I, I guess. Um, uh, spaghetti jello is like a savory tomato-based jello mold with spaghettios in it. Um, the way that she's made it anyway. Um, you might have seen this video and it is, it, it, it basically counts as an aspic. Yeah, it does. Um, I did have a friend whose mom, she was notorious for her, um, interesting cooking, we'll say. And one time I came over and she said she had, um, orange jello with cabbage. Huh. I didn't try it. I didn't see it. Because okay. of those words enough, as a kid, I was like, no, no, I'm no, no, leaving. No, 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 But I guess maybe that was an aspect. Maybe she was offering me some form of an aspect. It, it might have counted. I uh, cer- certainly growing up, my um, my grandmother in Ohio would serve gelatin salads, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. would be like lime jello with maybe shredded carrots or something like that inside of it. And it was definitely a side salad. Sure. And it was definitely like... Sweet jello with carrots in it. I love that people call them salads. That's one of my favorite things. We'll do anything to like sound healthy. Yeah. But really. Yeah. I mean, it was green. Oh boy. Yep. <laughs> That's what counts these days. <laughs> and we laugh or maybe shudder at these now, but at one time they were reserved for the finest of the fine dining experience. Absolutely. Yeah, so let's look at the history of these things. Yeah. Aspects are relatively new, new kid on the block, but they might be older than you think. The first in- instances of aspects most likely go back to 18th century France. Yes, France. Like Lauren kind of mentioned in the beginning of the podcast. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that was spoiler alert. Sorry. 
She totally spoiled it. The first instance of gelatin making didn't involve food at all. Instead, scraps and bones left over after an animal carcass had been picked clean would be boiled down to collagen that was then used as an adhesive for cave painting. Yeah. Good old Pliny mentions that Romans did a similar thing to produce strong fish glue. Yeah. Gelatin, useful for many things. We'll get into some of that in the science section later on. Mm Mm-hmm. Aspects were preceded by 14th century medieval savory gelatin dishes called jellies that were made with boiled pig feet and ears filtered through cloth. I found one recipe by the name of a jelly of flesh. That sounds so good. Sounds so metal. It does. It could be a band. <laughs> yeah. The molded shapes delighted the medieval eye with the added bonus that the meats and produce inside the gelatin usually could prevent spoilage for a little longer. By uh, cutting off the air supply from oxygen-hungry bacteria. Right. Uh, The word jelly or gelatin may come, by the way, from the Latin gelata, meaning frozen, uh, indicating that the liquid and anything that you put in it would be frozen in place. Oh, also Mm -hmm. gelato. Yeah, sure. Recipes for other savory gelatin dishes use calves' and sheep's feet instead of pigs. Uh-huh. Um, one calls for white wine, ginger, anise, cinnamon, pepper, nutmeg, mace, and saffron in the mix. Uh, and, and all of that would then be strained and poured over chopped hens and the meat from the cow and or sheep's feet. So fancy. Sounds delightful. And making these dishes was a, just a serious pain in the, uh, in the calf's foot. You'd have to boil the animal parts for several hours, then strain all of the solids out and let the remaining liquid settle for an entire day and night so that the fat would rise to the top for skin, for skimming. Um, the, the remaining stuff was gelatin that could be reheated and then flavored and molded. There was also a specific dish I found called, um, galantine. Ah. Galantine? No, no, it's spelled like Galantine's Day, but I think it's pronounced Galantine. And it was made of a minced meat and, and other stuff that was pressed into sort of like a, a round loaf and then coated in this savory gelatin with a heady spice blend. It was popular enough that Chaucer mentions it in his Ballad to Rosamond. Um, we got our compatriot Jonathan Strickland, who is an erstwhile student of Middle English, to read the original for us. Nos never peak walloed in Galantina, as e in lova am walloed and iwunda. In case you didn't catch all of that, it means something like, uh, never was pike so imbued in Galantine as I in love am imbued and wounded. Wow. That's... That's some serious stuff. <sighs> Chaucer was so thirsty. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, if you want to hear more from, from Jonathan Strickland, by the way, you can catch him on the podcast Tech Stuff and also on the Facebook live show called Game Changers on How Stuff Works Facebook page. Yeah. Super Check fun. People, yeah. history of board games, people play board games. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Video games, all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Check them out. Thank you, Jonathan. Anyway, uh, so these sorts of recipes pop up in upper-class cookbooks from all over Europe. The British Museum cookbook reports they were often decorated with edible gold and silver leaf to make them that much more extra showy. Yes. Uh, and these cold dishes might have been especially popular due to the theory of using food to balance humors, that, that whole concept of cool versus hot and wet versus dry that's going on in our bodies and in the universe around us. 
Um, so, so cold dishes made with gelatin were recommended especially for people with hot and moist temperaments, um, like youth and adolescence or, uh, during torrid southern summers. One of these days we're going to do an episode on humors. I feel like they keep popping up. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure. Oh. But I am interested in hot and moist temperaments. That's a great descriptor. I've, I think I've known a few people like that. Oh, have you? I think we all do. <laughs> anyway, to please the Friday non-meat-eating Catholic crowd, chefs got the idea to boil some eels in the stock of a fish like cod and also swim bladders to make Catholic-approved fish jellies. Hmm. That sounds very appetizing. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, meanwhile, in the late 1500s, a fellow sometimes called Europe's first celebrity chef wrote about his technique of using egg whites to help clarify stock for gelatin. That was uh, Maestro Martino de Como, um, who was Italian, if you could not tell. And we'll talk more about that works also in our science section below. Towards the end of the medieval era, the definition of jelly expanded to include sweets, some made with either pectin or the Russian-discovered Isinglass, which was derived from beluga bladder sturgeons. That doesn't sound as fancy as Isinglass. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, rose water was a popular flavoring for these sweet jellies. And this was also about the time that the term flummery came into existence, which uh, is, is usually reserved for, for sweet gelled dishes, but has sometimes been used to hold uh, savory ingredients as well. Flummery sounds like <laughs> something you'd exclaim. Flummery! Exactly. What flummery is this? Uh, the, the, the meaning of the word has has expanded to mean something kind of like insubstantial and okay. silly. Excellent. So, yeah. I, might, I might incorporate that. Absolutely. Apart from the Lord of the Rings sounding eyes and glass, there were a few other competitors of gelatin. In 1660 Japan, it was discovered that if you processed red seaweed, you could get kanten, a seaweed-based jelly that was especially popular in Asia. Europeans called it agar-agar, and northern Europe also had a method for boiling Irish moss, or red seaweed, until they derived carrageenan. I've actually never known how to say that, uh, which they then used to thicken things up. Other sources of jellification included heart's horn, which is made from the horns of deer, um, and ivory shavings. Ooh. Very, very fancy indeed. Indeed. It wasn't until 1682 that gelatin technology took another leap with French mathematician Denis Papin's invention of the wonderfully named steam digester. Steam digester? Uh-huh. Hmm. This thing extracted gelatin after some serious animal bone boiling. The first industrial gelatin extracting didn't happen until 1818. Wow. Mm-hmm. 1789 marks the first time the word appeared written in English. Aspic. Yes. Yes. And at the time, it meant a cold dish of meat, fish, eggs, etc., set in molded jelly. The English got it from the French, but beyond that, the origins are kind of a mystery. Uh, yeah, aspic was also a French term at the time for a type of lavender, so maybe it got the name from lavender seasoning that was used in recipes. Uh, but some food historians and etymologists trace it to the Greek word aspis, which literally meant a round shield, but had become a name for snakes, especially ones with rounded hoods. And uh, that's where we get the word asp from. The the shield part would certainly make sense in terms of protecting food inside the jelly, or the snake part might refer to the bright colors that are that are used that were used in in these uh these aspects, you know, colored with stuff like uh, extracts of sandalwood for red, saffron for yellow, and boiled blood for black. 
Ooh. In William Makepeace Thackeray's 1848 novel Vanity Fair, one of the characters, <gasps> no spoilers, dies via <laughs> an aspic of plover's eggs. Ooh. Ugh. Ugh. Doesn't sound good. Uh, the famous French dictionary Litre from around that time lists as cold as an aspic as a proverbial phrase. Mm-hmm. Speaking of proverbs, uh, the Brits apparently use one to this day uh, that is set in aspic, which means uh, something that's stubbornly gelled in its outdated ways. Yes, and this was used in a recent headline about yeah. Br- British politics. So, so oh, it's great. Still, yeah, still in use. Love it. There was an amazing variety of fanciful aspects described in a cookbook from 1769 called The Experienced English Housekeeper by one Elizabeth Raffold. And she laid out just these spectacular jellies that were made with calf's foot stock clarified with egg whites. Picture, if you will, whole pigeons roasted with sprigs of myrtle stuck in their beaks encased in clear gelatin. Or a gelatin fish pond made with a large and small colored flummery fishes, also encased in clear gelatin. Or a hen's nest made out of shredded lemon peel, set in gelatin, filled with gelatin eggs molded in real eggshells, or with molded gelatin chickens. I, I want to hang out with this lady. She sounds fabulous. Oh, so fabulous. But Aspic's heyday had not yet arrived, and soon they would be propelled into culinary fame by one extra-famous chef. But before we get to that, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. 
and we're back. Thank you, sponsor. The person we have to thank for bringing aspects into the limelight. Limelight? Yes, it's a major foreshadowing pun. Was the famous 19th century chef, Antonin Carême, who we talked about for a decent bit during our French cuisine episode. He is also known as one of the first celebrity chefs. Mm-hmm. He adored these things. Oh, yeah. Oh, and to do it right, in his mind, you needed a calf's foot. Yeah. And that's because, as we said before, you had to boil it down, clarify it, set it. And because of the time involved, aspects were extremely expensive and enjoyed oh, yeah. almost exclusively by the rich, acting as centerpieces on tables that overfloweth with decor, food, and drink. It was assumed that if you presented an aspic huh. in such a manner, you must have a waitstaff who did all the work for you. And in Karem's terminology, he called this chauffois, or cooked hot, served cold. Chauffois. Yes. And like we mentioned in our French food episode, Karem was a chef under Napoleon, so the aspects he perfected were towering, multi-layered structures to behold, sometimes composing tableau. His final cookbook, published posthumously, featured an entire chapter complete with diagrams, diagrams on the mighty, extremely customizable Oh, yeah, just these these ribboned layers of, of different colors, and they looked like castles, and they had these turrets, and it was, huh, it was a lot. Yes, they're pretty great. Look them up. The European Association of Luxury and Aspect made the journey across to the American colonies, where they were popular with rich southern plantation owners, and where they were probably made by slaves, and rich elite in New York. And you wouldn't believe who's popping up again, but Thomas Jefferson. Oh, of course. Of course. He combined French wine and the French aspect to offer guests at Monticello wine jellies. That sounds pretty lovely. Yeah. The Industrial Revolution brought the aspect to a wider audience with the invention of packaged gelatin. Ooh. Yes. In 1845, New York, glue manufacturer Peter Cooper patented a powdered mix of processed sugar, spices, eggs, and lemon he called the first dessert gelatin mix. However, in the words of jellogallery.org, it didn't really gel with the American public. Oh. They, they beat us to that one. They did. <laughs> Uh, it was, however, inexpensive, being that it was a byproduct of the meat industry, which gave enterprising folks the motivation to work with it. And meanwhile, uh, aspic-based dishes never really went out of fashion in most of Europe. Victorians, for example, were mad about complex gelled dishes, like a foie gras set in bombshell gelatin molds decorated with ringlets stamped out of egg, set on beds of more gelatin and also artichokes. Part of the draw of these things uh, is that they could be prepared a day ahead, leaving the day of the party for other business. Oh, man. These sound so epic. <laughs> a couple of years later, in 1897, Pearl B. Waite, who made cough syrups, added food coloring to the mix of, like, dry gelatin powder to create a product his wife suggested he call Jello. Huh. Yes, that jello, which he patented that year. But two years later, he sold it to Genesee Food Company for $450, which is around about 11000 of today's American dollars. Which I guess isn't super shabby, unless you consider the empire that jello is. Mm-hmm. By 1900, Genesee Food Company was putting out pamphlets and short cookbooks complete with jello recipes to increase demand. 
they weren't the only ones promoting Jell-O in the early 1900s either. Companies that manufactured chillers or refrigerators got in the game too. For instance, General Electric came out with a cookbook to help you get the most out of your new refrigerator. If you take a look at the salad section, yes, the salad section, a majority of them are aspics. And these ad campaigns were very successful. Uh, Jell-O and the aspect really took off in the United States. Housewives liked them because they were quick, cheap. The dessert ones even saved you sugar. Increased the life of leftovers. And this was really important during the Great Depression. And yet, they somehow managed to keep this sort of showstopper, luxurious reputation, in part due to the time it took for the gelatin to set. And also, they were the le- one of the least messy things you could feed your kids. Oh, along those lines, there's um there's a book called Perfection Salad, written by food historian Laura Shapiro about women in cooking around the turn of the 20th century. And and she writes that this concept of, of the cleanliness of food, literally and psychologically, was just a major motivator at the time, um, which we've previously discussed in various episodes about the rise of a clean eating culture promoted by people like uh, Graham and Kellogg, uh, you know, the, the pure food craze. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shapiro wrote of the gelatin salad, a salad at last in control of itself. At last. At last. <laughs> Jello did a good job of capitalizing on the 1906 Food and Drug Act, advertising its safety pouch, <laughs> and using the word pure three times. Uh, this act was prompted by Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, which is that infamous look into the realities of the meat industry. Oof, it's a rough one, mm-hmm. but definitely worth reading. Oh, yeah. In 1908, Jell-O debuted the smash hit Jell-O Girl that hailed the product oh. as all that was pure and innocent about childhood. Sugar, and thus Jell-O, was rationed during World War One, which put a damper on things, but the product came back swinging once the war was over, helped along by the Great Depression, and new flavor lime Jell-O. Apparently, the flavor was so loved, entire cookbooks were devoted to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Another development that helped gelatin salad's popularity, uh, that popularization of the electric refrigerator. Mm-hmm. By the end of the 1930s, about 60% of households in America had one, um, and they kept food cooler more consistently. The Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America estimates that up to a third of all recipes printed in cookbooks at the time involved gelatin. That's crazy. Angelo wasn't the only gelatin in the game. Charles Knox of Knox Unflavored Gelatin touted his product at the 1904 World's Fair. A year later, the Perfection Salad, the recipe, not the book, made its debut at a Knox-sponsored cooking contest in Pennsylvania. This aspect consisted of finely chopped cabbage, celery, and red pepper. It won third place, and in 1972, James Beard wrote that this aspect's triumph unleashed a demand for congealed salads that has grown alarmingly, particularly in the suburbs. These salads, it still feels weird to call them that, were perceived as a lady food. So light and delicate. Uh-huh. That, the title and, of Knox Gelatin Cookbook was Dainty Desserts for Dainty People. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't think that's a book marketed to us, Annie. No, I don't think so. <laughs> And yet they still held on to their higher status when during World War II, serving an aspect was kind of like saying to your friends, you could throw quite the dinner party or gathering, rations or no rations. And there was also an interesting social transition happening regarding the role of a good housewife. 
1950 survey asked women to report their thoughts on a housewife who bought instant coffee versus one who brewed coffee. The women did not go easy on the housewife who purchased the instant coffee, calling her lazy, disorganized, and a bad wife. Ouch. Yeah. At the same time, the time and cost efficiency of making instant and manufactured products along with the rate of profit seen by the producers of these things during during World War II, meant that they weren't going anywhere. A housewife needed to be efficient and thrifty, but also put time and effort into the meals she cooked as it was seen as her role. If you just put jello in a bowl, it wasn't viewed as cooking. So what do you do? Let's make this fancy-looking aspect cheaply and efficiently and hit all the checkboxes. The aesthetic was key. Mm-hmm. And this was done with other cheap processed foods as well. Think hot dogs being used to make pigs in a blanket, for example. Sure. At their height, there were all kinds of crazy recipes like lime jello with canned tuna. Ugh. And man, the terminology in the cookbooks. Words like sinkers and floaters. Oh. Ooh, yeah. Painting quite the image there. To make the gelatin less see-through, you'd add mayo or cream. And until the 1970s, you could buy savory jello flavors like celery and Italian salad. This is not a thing that I knew, and I'm horrified. But kind of intrigued, but right? very, very intrigued. Oh, I wondered. I'm sure that you could reproduce this with some unflavored gelatin and your own seasonings at home. I'm sure. That's worth an experiment for sure. And speaking of the 1970s, that's about the time the aspic bubble burst. Ah, yep. What happened, you ask? Changing views on dieting and nutrition happened. For the last several years of their reign, aspects started skewing more and more towards dessert. And then there was this damaging sun-dried tomato fad. (laughs) Yeah, can't put a dried thing in a wet thing. Sure, that doesn't make sense. No, women started working easier than gelatin microwave-friendly meals hit the shelves. It pretty much died out, save for parts of the Midwest and South. One of my favorite descriptions I came across when researching this called the aspect a culinary fossil and a ghost. Ooh. I know. Oh, I know several chefs who would who are offended. They would disagree strongly. Yeah. Obviously, Jell-O is still around. They retooled after the aspect's demise, quote-unquote, marketing themselves as a snack or dessert option. I believe they called themselves the number one best-selling dessert in the world. I'll have to look into that more, but I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, there is one state where aspects of the savory variety remain very popular, Utah, especially among the Mormon population. The state named it their state snack in 2001, and the region is sometimes called the Jello Belt. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. And aspect-like things have stuck around in Asian-American cuisine as a dumpling filling, for example. Absolutely. So that's kind of a roundup of this weird and wild history of aspects until now. Yeah, and now we've got some of the science behind aspects for you. But first, we've got another quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Okay, so... Science-wise, there are two important factors in making an aspic that's both pretty and tasty. Uh, the, the gelling agent and the crystal clear soup stock. First, let's talk about the stock. Uh, clarifying a cloudy stock into a translucent consomme is tricky. Uh, some of the particles that make a stock cloudy are too tiny to effectively sift out with strainers or cheesecloth, um, although that is certainly your first step. But as Maestro Martino wrote in the 1500s, you can harness the power of electromagnetics to clarify your stock. Whoa. Well, he didn't quite say that. Uh, he said that you should beat egg whites and add them to simmering stock, but but ultimately, it's what he meant. Egg whites, as it turns out, contain a protein called albumin, which are positively charged molecules. Uh, lots of the stuff floating in your stock is negatively charged. Positives and negatives attract, so all of that stuff sticks to the albumin particles in the egg whites. Uh, after a while, a sort of raft of detritus forms, and you can just skim it off, leaving a much clearer soup. You can also use gelatin or other products that work in a similar electromagnetic way to achieve a clear consomme. And the, te- the technique has also been used in winemaking since the 1600s at least. It created such a surplus of egg yolks in Bordeaux that it started a, spe- a specialty pastry trade there. And we will have to come back to this later because it's great. Absolutely. Okay. Um, there's a lot of discussion, by the way, among chefs about how to create the most flavorful yet the most transparent consomme. Way too much to go into here. Those are the basics. Now, that gelling agent. As we talked about in our marshmallow episode, gelatin is a really useful thing in food chemistry because it, it solidifies at around... 95 degrees Fahrenheit, a.k.a. 35 degrees Celsius, and it melts at anything above that, which is why things like jello melt in your mouth, thus delivering flavor directly to your tongue. 
Uh, gelatin is a protein, and it's made up of these long, friendly chains of amino acids. By friendly, I mean that they're super willing to bond up into complex matrices at room temperature, and they are also happy to form bonds with water molecules. Uh, gelatin chains can have hundreds of hydrogen atoms sticking out along their sides, each of which can bond weakly with a water molecule when the temperature is cool enough. So what happens is you add gelatin to warm water, and the warmth makes all the gelatin molecules slip and slide and wiggle apart from each other. As they cool, they chill out, literally. And they grab up some water molecules, and they cling together in these complex patterns, trapping the water among themselves. Jello mold. If you warm it up again, say in your mouth, all of those molecules start sliding away from each other again. Gelatin itself is flavorless, but anything soluble in water, uh, flavorings and colorings, will uh, come along for the ride. Oh. Mm-hmm. You get gelatin by breaking down collagen, which is even longer chains of amino acids. They're all twined up together. Uh, collagen is a connective protein in and around cells that, that gives them a flexible structure. It makes up about 30% of your body weight, actually, and it's especially prevalent in skin and tendons and bones, which is why feet are so effective in making these gelatin stocks, because uh, they, they've got all these tendons and lots of surface area of the bones and the skin, so you've got plenty of opportunity to leach the collagens out. So when you boil these tissues, the, the collagen inside them untwines, leaving you with gelatin molecules. And what's happening when you cool the gelatin down is the molecules are sort of trying to, to reform those twiny collagen patterns and sort of failing, but failing deliciously. It's the best way to fail. Mm-hmm. These days, many chefs might prepare their aspics with packaged gelatin or with vegetarian alternatives like uh, seaweed extracts. But purists will tell you that you really do need to boil some animal feet. And gelatin may carry health benefits. Ooh. When uh, gelatin supplements are taken with vitamin C, they've sometimes been shown to improve patients' uh, bl blood levels of the markers of collagen synthesis to help, like, repair bones and keep your teeth and skin healthy, stuff like that, sure. Um, and gelatin is certainly a source of protein, but mostly you should eat it if you like it. Yeah. Um, I have to say I've got a newfound respect for gelatin now. There's a lot of very interesting science right there. I know! I love it! Right. So... In case we haven't convinced you that you need to look up some pictures of these things, here are some of the best aspect titles we stumbled upon. And I think the titles enough will be enough to pique your curiosity. I hope so. Okay, yeah. All right. A lot of them sound like modern art pieces to me. Oh, I know. So there's a lime cheese salad, tuna and jello pie, super salad loaf, a recipe courtesy of Hellman's Mayo. This involved stuffing an empty bologna shell with the jelly of mashed peas and heaping with mayo. And also you got bonus points for adding radish roses. Oh, radish roses were everywhere in these things. Yes. Um, along those lines, molded mayonnaise salad, <sighs> mostly cheese and mayo, snowy chicken confetti salad, emerald cantaloupe, jellied lamb salad, Sauerkraut mold, <laughs> prune and stuffed roast pork, bean and mushroom salad, lemony salmon tower, <laughs> pressed ox tongue. So that'll, I mean, surely you're hungry by now. Oh. Surely. You've got to be. Absolutely. Oh, uh, well, that, that just about brings us to our listener mail. Yes. 
Um, our first letter is in response to our Chuck E. Cheese episode. Katie sent us, in 2014, on Halloween, I attended my friend's mom's wedding at a Chuck E. Cheese. We all dressed up, and an Elvis impersonator was in charge of the wedding service. Wow. The bride and groom even went into the ticket window tunnel to grab tickets together. It was quite possibly the weirdest wedding that I've been to. During your latest episode, I had flashbacks to that time, and I thought you two would enjoy reading about it. Attached is a group picture from the event. I hope you all in the studio have a wonderful week. The picture was lovely. I think that would be a fun wedding to attend, personally. <laughs> it would be strange and very memorable. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, m- memorable is great. Come on. You want to be original? Yeah. Also about our Chuck E. Cheese episode, Lisa wrote... When our daughters were younger, around four and six years old, the show they watched on PBS was sponsored by Chuck E. Cheese. They would often ask to go, but it never had any appeal to my husband or me. One snowy Michigan spring Sunday afternoon, my husband found a coupon to the Chuck E. Cheese about 45 minutes away. As a surprise, we took our girls for pizza and games. They had a blast. On the way home, they asked when we could go back. Out of nowhere, self-preservation, I assume, I told them that unfortunately, to give all the children a turn, every child in the world is only allowed one visit to Chuck E. Cheese. We should be happy we finally had our turn and cherish the fun we had. They completely bought this story and didn't call me out on it until a couple years ago. They're now 10 and 12. That's magical. Yes. I believe she said parenting win, smiley face, after that. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's wonderful. And I have to say thank you to all the listeners who have been sending us um, the Chuck E. Cheese YouTube videos. Yes. With, like, pop and rap music yeah the uh, band performing pop and rap music right right that people have set up in their own homes i think uh and and just set it to right set the machinery to play along to amazing hip-hop yeah like in the club by usher yeah um it very enjoyable and bizarre uh i i've retweeted at least one of those yeah it's it's not like I like I said on Twitter, y'all. Like it's not necessarily not safe for work, but it's a little bit like not safe for sanity or humanity. Yeah, who? <laughs> it's a bunch, but I but I recommend checking it out if you if you think that you would even be a little bit interested in that. Absolutely, and if you would like to do as these listeners have done and write to us, you can. We have an email address. It's foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw and on Instagram at foodstuff. Shout out to our sound engineer, Alexander Williams. Got I got his name right. That's excellent. Uh, we hope to hear from you, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. 
Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.